Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Fourth Wall, the podcast. My name is Abigail Brazier. We're sans Elena today, and you might be wondering, why the heck isn't Elena here? And it's because this is a part two. This is part two of our discussion panel series where we interview sets of theater majors from around the country and talk about how we've all all of our shared experiences, how our experiences are different. Um, And this is for our month of education. So August is really all about highlighting theater in an educational setting, in higher education, etc. So I have three really cool people here with me today. I'm going to just let them introduce themselves a little bit. What's going on, you guys? Well, I am Ryan Petty. Um, I am 21 years old and I currently am a rising senior at Point Park University in their musical theater department. Um, And my connection to this podcast in general is I went to high school with Elena um, and we were close friends for the first three years that I went to the same high school as her. Hi, I'm Adrian. Um, I went to Western Carolina University with Elena, um, and I just graduated, so I'm actually, I'm, I'm now just a broke adult, no longer a student, um, and yeah, I'm 21, um, doing theater for a while. Hiya, I'm Emma, um, I'm a rising, uh, oh my gosh, junior at Pace University, crazy, um, and Abby and I met a million years ago uh, at a little thing called BAA. So that's pretty cool. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Yes, of course. We have um, chosen these people because we think they're cool. First of all, cool people are important to us, but also because we think the um, perspectives are going to be really um, insightful. We have people from uh, all over the country, someone from Pennsylvania and North Carolina, and New York City, the Big Apple. So we're just gonna get right into it. So how did everybody find theater and what made you choose your program? Yeah, I'll start off. Um, So I found theater when I was in sixth grade. My sister, um, my sister said she was gonna, she was in eighth grade at the time. She was like, I'm gonna audition for the play because all my friends are doing it. And I was just like a lonely little sixth grader and didn't know what I liked to do. So I was like, I'll audition as well. And it was Alice in Wonderland. And I ended up getting the White Rabbit and the rest is history. I just fell in love with it from there. Then started doing musicals because I was like, oh, there's singing that I can do too. Um, And I chose Point Park um, when applying to colleges because so, of course, as most of us did, we probably all applied and auditioned to like hundreds of programs, it feels like. But I chose Point Park because of its location. Um, I didn't have any family in Pittsburgh, which was a draw to me because I have family everywhere and I kind of wanted to make a place for myself and just live somewhere that nowhere else, no one else has lived in my family. And I also really liked their program. They're a heavy dance program. Um, And also when I was looking at the accepted class, it was the most diverse class that I was accepted into. Um, It was not, you didn't see tokenism, at least looking at the class, you didn't see, oh, there's the person of color. Like it was actually like a good representation of what classrooms should look like, or I I thought when I was picking schools. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'll go second as we now have an established order. 
which I'm a fan of. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. I, went, I got into theater I, around the same age. I was like 11, and I was in, I wasn't in Alice in Wonderland, but I was in the hit play, Dorothy Meets Alice. You know, Dorothy Meets Alice. Wait, I actually um, think I've heard of that. That's so <laughs> was, funny. Yes. Do you actually know Dorothy? I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not good. Um, and I was the Mad Hatter, and then I did that at the same time because I did a lot of sports because my my mom's parents are actually both were both professional athletics coaches, and so I came from a very athletic background and was terrible at every sport I tried. But then I got into a play, and I was like, "Oh, this is great! I don't have to wake up and go into a pool, uh, and I like this, and I'm actually okay at it." And so then I did that for a while, and I almost went into physics, leaving high school. I did a community college for a while and I got into a physics class and was good at it and I really enjoyed it. Uh, and then I realized that I wouldn't be lastingly happy doing that. And so I decided to go into theater. Um, and then unlike actually probably most people you talk to, I barely applied to any. I auditioned at one school. <laughs> um, I went to NCTC, uh, College Discovery Day, uh, uh, my senior year of high school. And I didn't have any idea what any schools were because I was homeschooled and no one told me anything. Um, and so I just, I just like went and auditioned uh, and ha had a really bad audition objectively. Um, and I talked to a, a number of schools and I talked to Western and Westerns were, and that what, when we decided to go to Western genuinely was talking to Claire I um, at, 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 at NCTC. Because, because she was the only one who actually gave me like real uh, uh, acting notes. And she was, and, she, and, I could, and I could tell that she, she cared about my development as an actor, which is what I was really invested in. And I, I ended up auditioning for both the acting and the musical theater program. I ended up getting accepted into both, but I picked the musical theater just so I could do some music classes as well. Not a good dancer at all. Um, <clears throat> And yeah, so I so I I I, I did that. It wasn't I, I was much less meticulous than most people that I hear talk about it. <laughs> but I'm but I'm actually really happy that it happened how it did because I don't know if I if I if I'd run all the numbers, I don't know whether I would have picked Western or not. But it ended up being a really great place because it really helped me uh, cultivate who I who, who I was as an artist, um, and was definitely a positive experience for me personally. Heck yeah! What about you, Emma? Um. So I it was kind of like a bunch of detours. I, when I was really young, went to, my parents took me to music therapy um, for, you know, different mental health things. Um, and then that kind of went on a little detour to this little theater troupe that I had heard from, from, it was like a friend of a friend sort of situation. Happens a lot. Um, and I fell in love with that troupe. And then someone in the troupe was like, oh, you should audition for like this show. And then, you know, that you have the community theaters in your community. And so it led to that. And then that I was bit by the bug and, you know, like we all are. And I just like would try and get my hands on anything theater, musical theater related. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> and then I'd say, well, first of all, I was on the ultimate list for Pace. So I didn't uh, get off that list until pretty late in the game. I, um, I heard that I was accepted like two days before acceptance day. So I was literally, a, I was like a breath away from committing to another school, another wonderful school. Um, but I think like the top reasons why I ended up choosing Pace was 
one, I think I, I really wanted to be in the city. Like there is something really, really appealing about knowing that I would be adapting to like New York City life and college life at the same time. And of course, like New York comes with its own opportunities. So that was like already like such a huge decision maker. And then also I remember I was so nervous when I got off the alternate list that I wouldn't be able to, um, you know, I thought like all these accepted students, like they already like formed some friendships. They'd been talking for months and I was like, oh, I'm not going to fit in. Um, and they were all just so wonderful. I love my class so dearly. And, uh, like Ryan said, I remember when our class banner came out and I just saw like all these beautiful, like it was such a diverse group of people. Uh, so they're definitely also like one of the top decision maker, you know, they're, they're part of the reason I'm there. Love them. That's really cool. Adrian, what about you? Do you feel that um, the racial makeup of your class of theater and performance majors was diverse? I would not personally say so. Um, <clears throat> and I, I don't I don't say that trying to assign blame to anyone. Uh, I think that there are a number of factors feeding into it. Uh, and I'm sure that there are steps can be that that should be taken to increase the diversity within the program and definitely need to increase the diversity within the program. But it is also, I, I mean, and I, and I want to preface also anything I say uh, before I say it, I'm trying to be as like just open and honest about how I feel as possible, but my feelings are not facts. <laughs> and if I say something that's wrong or counterproductive or could be misconstrued in a bad way, just tell me. If someone tells me, I will not be upset. I'll be very happy. Of course. I'm trying to educate myself as much as possible, but like, you know, it's hard. Heck yeah. But what I would say is that, well, yeah, while it's not necessarily anyone's fault, it definitely, I mean, it, it definitely wasn't an incredibly diverse class. I mean, of the, of the graduating class, especially like, I mean, the class that came in was a little more diverse than the class that left because some people dropped out, but like of the graduating class, very, very uh, not, I would say, I would say not incredibly diverse. Um, but it's also, we're in, you know, we're in the, the middle of the Bible Belt we're also in the middle of nowhere um and we're in the middle of nowhere in the mountains where diversity is harder to i think maintain well because there are in in, in the south definitely there are a lot of people who are fairly outspokenly racist um not all of them certainly but enough that it can be uh, that it is uh, a quite problematic and be uh, pretty off-putting um, and so, like, I understand that there are a number of factors feeding into why there wasn't a lot of diversity in my class, but there certainly should be more. Yeah, I can definitely say as well that I grew up in Florida and then I moved to the tri-state area of New York City. And now I'm between the tri-state and North Carolina. And there is definitely, I think, a noticeable difference if you are paying attention that the variety of perspective that you are exposed to in certain parts of the country as compared, you know, comparing different areas where people can live, the South versus the North. Not to say that the South is, I, I also feel like the South definitely has a reputation for being a little more discriminatory or having certain perspectives and opinions on race. But I, I agree. I think it is more noticeable. Like it's just more tangible in the south and i think part of that is because you're exposed to 
less diverse perspectives than you would be like in New York City or Pittsburgh, where there are so many different people from all walks of life, all living in the same space. And, you know, you're meeting different people and hearing different people's experiences and all sorts of that thing, you know? Chime on this, chime in on this. Yeah, like, I think it's easy for us to say this region is worse than this. Like we talk about the Bible Belt, but something that a lot of people aren't accustomed to and a lot of people don't hear about is the Midwest and racism in the Midwest, which I lived in North Carolina for eight years and I, my family has lived in Iowa for the past couple of years. And I can honestly say maybe my eyes are more open to it because I'm older and I'm more, I am more educated with every day. Um, but I have noticed a lot more issues in the Midwest than I ever did in the South. And I think it, you can talk about region and there is history within each region as to why more people believe one way than the other. But what it boils down to is it's on us and like to turn this into like schools programs and like divert lack of diversity within WCU versus Pace or Point Park or wherever you want to talk about it boils down to it is on us and it is on like white Americans to make sure that people that do participate within racist remarks, racist conversations, or just microaggressions, it's on us to make them feel alone in that opinion. Um, and like, that's what drives it out. I think in New York, like the reason we see it less is because even though people might think those things, they know that if they say something, it will be talked against. So it's on us to like notice it if we live in the South, notice it if we live in the Midwest and call it out so that they feel like alienated from everyone around them for thinking that way. Yeah, I, and I would say, I think the South gets a bad rap sometimes for being especially racist. And mind you, there's some pretty egregious things that happen. Um, but like, I, but I will say this because especially when I spent some time in New York, it, it's not that it, there it isn't present. I think that, I think it's quieter because I think there's less room for it to be vocalized. And I think that what the South has that makes it so visible is that there is, there are spaces where people feel comfortable saying awful things in public. Um, Especially, I mean, I, I mean, and I'm, this is not a dig on religion, but the, in the Bible Belt, there certainly has been a, a history of um, uh, uh, racism and racial injustice that can be promoted by uh, uh, some some religious leaders and some people who are, you know, mis misconstrue parts of like scripture to to or you know whatever religious text they believe in to feed into their belief, and because it's in the Bible Belt there's like a platform for that to be said. But like, I mean, when I was in this, when I was, went to the New York State Fair, there were, there was, there were booths with like, you know, Confederate flags and all the stars and bars and all that. And it, it was kind of jarring to see it that far north because I, I didn't expect it. I expected that that wouldn't exist, but it did. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, dang, this is great stuff. So we're talking about um, speaking up and making sure that like when we see something or hear something, we say something, right? Um, allyship and allyship is a journey. And that is like a direct practice of allyship. And even having those thoughts um, 
as Ryan was saying, you may think something, but you won't say something because you are addressing that as an internalized bias that you've been, maybe you've been raised with it. Um, that's also part of allyship, clocking others, clocking yourselves, you know. Uh, go listen to our episode featuring Renee Rapp. We talk all about that. We do a deep, deep, deep dive. But uh, going back to what we're talking about, schools, um, programs, and training as you're growing up in the world of theater, um, have you ever been told anything specific about how you should audition or pressure to use a certain kind of material or like anything specific about your type? Oh, oh. so yes, as far as type goes, that word. Um, so I'll start with this. There, we have this one teacher, wonderful woman, Sharon Brady, um, who I think is a good example of Just a good example of a teacher in modern society as far as theater goes, because she does this thing in which she types us. I'm gonna use her as a good example, then I'm gonna use another teacher at Point Park University that I think is a very bad example. Um, so she typed us and she would use like high status, low status, that's what she would talk about. And when she started saying that's how she would type us and tell us how to, how to audition, I was like, oh, bad word. I was like, oh crap, she, is about to be racist. I was like, as this old white woman, she's about to start saying things about colorism and why that would make you low status or because I'm very Aryan looking, I'll be high status. And so I expected that, but she stood us up one by one in class and talked about bone structure um, and talked about my friend Taekwon. He has the sharpest jawline and the sharpest cheekbones. And she was like, you're high status. She was like, you, you are like Prince Hal in any, uh, you are Prince Hal and King Henry IV, like you are high status. And um, she talked about me and she was like, you are mid to high status. And she um, did it based off of the way someone carries themselves and the way someone like physical attributes without it being about their place in modern or colonial society. Um, and so I've, I appreciated that, that she didn't boil us down to our skin tone. Um, and then we have this other teacher, um, John Shepard, name him, um, who he went around our type and like said a character type, like I can't even remember what he said about me because that's not what this day ended up being about. Um, and he, but he, he said something like, I was the best friend or like things like that. Um, and then he gets to this one girl, my friend Gabriela Rodriguez, who just finished um, the national tour of the color purple as squeak. Um, shout out to Gabby, love you. Um, but uh, she, she is Puerto Rican and Dominican, um, very curly, bouncy hair. Um, and he gets to her and the only thing he has to say about her is, okay, when you walk into a room, I see exotic, which we all now know um, is not um, a compliment in any way. Um, and I, this was my sophomore year, so this was less than two years ago. Um, and at the time, no one said anything. Um, I honestly hadn't fully been educated on how offensive that can be, um, but I did know just from, that, that's all he said that she was. Um, and so I think that is just a very good example of, he's an industry professional and we should respect him because he's our connection to film and, um, but I think that's a good example of how things are changing very fast and um, programs need to hop on board 
um, I don't argue with their students when students say like, um, no, I'm not going to put up with this because I feel like often back, the backlash from faculty is, well, this is how it's been. This is how it is. And I'm like, this is how it was 20 years ago when you were there. But I think that's a good example of how typing um, and bringing in material for your type, um, because she was also like told, oh, you should grab stuff for Cleopatra because it's another woman of color, like an Egyptian woman. <laughs> Um, and that was her type in Shakespeare because she was a woman of color. Um, but yeah, I think that's just an example of restrictive typing versus that can be productive. That's a great term, restrictive typing. And where we also, you'll hear on our episode with Katie Ladner, which is also out now for your ears to listen to, we talk about the concept of separating your type from your from whatever stereotype you may fall under in the eyes of society. So that's uh, some something to think about as well. Emma, do you have any, any thoughts on this one? Totally. I love what you just said about like separating type from stereotype. I think that is so important. Um, I know when I was growing up, I always felt like I was pigeonholed into certain roles because of like my weight or my looks. Um, so there was that, but that was pretty much the only time that I ever, ever felt that way. Um, and you know, it's always come to my attention that there are certain shows that like call for a specific type. I, you can't, you can't see me. I'm trying to use like quotes with my fingers. <laughs> um, like they call for a type, but the thing is, there's also type is changing and there are opportunities where there's really no reason that, you know, any any person, size, shape, color, able-bodied or not, like, there's no reason they shouldn't be cast in these certain roles. Um, and I think we are starting to see that in our industry. I think we still have a long way to go, but I do think that we're starting to see it and that's exciting. Yeah. Um... <clears throat> for um, on my end, I have a bit of a different perspective because well, I'm I mean I'm I'm just a white guy, but I tan really dark. I like it's just however my I don't know I don't know my genetic makeup. I've been asked uh, uh, more times than I can count what race I am. Um, I'm just boring white, but like I, I when I'm out in the sun, it doesn't take much to I have very olive tones and to 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 make me a, a more darker skinned uh, version of me. And so because of that, I've actually had people attempt to audition me or cast me for roles for which I'm entirely not racially appropriate. Um, I, I, when, I was at, when I was at SETC, my, so it was my first SETC, and so I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't, when I got called back from theaters, I didn't check all of their seasons. And so I wasn't totally sure it was, I'll name the theaters, why not? Uh, it was Glow Lyric Theater in South Carolina. Um, and they were doing uh, uh, um, In the Heights. And they called me back to read for Usnavi and Graffiti Pete, which is, which is crazy. Cause I have, I have no like Latin, nothing, no Latinx, anything is going on with me. I just am very dark featured and, and, and at the time had darker skin. And so they, so they called me, they called me back for it and had me read for it. Um, and it was the most awkward because I, I didn't realize what was happening until I was in the room. And so they just handed me a side and I was like, oh, this is this is very not OK. Um, but 
and but what's come out of that what i've noticed and i i don't i don't remember i, I couldn't say exactly who, who has said what about it but i've when i've talked to other people about it some people are very much like oh that's crazy that's awful <laughs> that's not okay but then some people have encouraged me to like go for those parts and take those parts which i think especially if like if you were if you are a white person that is darker toned or is dark featured and like you are presented with that opportunity i think it's i mean a obviously i don't think there's any excuse for taking it but it is it is a it is an odd predicament because you didn't willfully put yourself in the position oftentimes if you're if you're especially if you're going to like a unified audition um and then the and then the the internal struggle is you know obviously this isn't you know this 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 is this is bad and this is you know whitewashing this role but i'm also broke <laughs> like you know it's that it's that thing of like of like you know the, even if there is an ill intention i think sometimes that happens because they're like well i have no other job um and like as far as as far as it, how to address that issue i really i'm i you know i wish i had a, a pat answer but like it's that was that's been an, an interesting thing that that i that i've noticed for me is like is like you know uh, an, an, an odd other thing. And I think as far as like the really true diverse casting, um, especially in Shakespeare, I think Shakespeare is some, somewhere where that needs to be because we've all seen all of the typical types Shakespeare. That's all the, the existing body of work for, for, for Shakespeare's productions. But like, it's all been seen and it's all done. And so just like throw something else out at it. I have a I have a friend um, Tamar who's who's trying to trying to produce and direct uh, a reverse gender reverse race Othello, um, which is which would be really cool, um, and like I think that that's the kind of stuff that needs to start happening more because you don't have to because you can do that and it will it will it will bring in a different element to the show without you having to even make a point about it. You don't have to say, well, our Othello is a white woman. Everyone can see that and everyone knows that that's not typically how it's cast and it will recontextualize the whole show because it has to, because the actors are different. Like the life experiences of a, of a middle-aged black man versus the life experiences of a middle-aged white woman, even if they grew up in similar places are going to be different and are going to add different aspects into the show. And I think that's what is like, that that's what is that's what is 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 so e even just artistically beneficial about it is in, in that diversity i would really love to like piggyback onto um what you were talking about about racial appropriation and casting um i don't remember i can't remember who said this to me but it was during my freshman year at pace and one of our teachers i think or maybe it was a student said something about we were talking about opportunity and someone said the the issue is that people are getting the idea confused. It's not, it's not about white people losing opportunities. It's about equal opportunity for everyone. And I think that's what the people behind the table need to have in their mind, as well as those people who, those actors who are auditioning. And when they, when they see that side and, and what they think when they look at that side that they are not right for. Um, and I also think when it comes down to, um, you know, like, oh, well, I need a job, like, we're all starving artists, you know, um, and I think when it comes down to that, the wonderful thing about our work is that 
we can constantly create new work. Um, so I think that's one great solution to, um, you know, when you, when you need the money, you know, I, and also to give more opportunity to different experiences and different voices. All right. So uh, going off of these things that we're talking about, have you guys ever observed or witnessed any moments of injustice or discrimination between students and faculty that challenged you internally um, as your own individual person and as an ally? Well, that whole experience in the classroom um, with your exotic um like that was definitely a moment where I feel that every single white person in the room failed to be an ally, including myself. No one said a thing. No one said a thing. I think we can blame it on like, I was stunned. Like I never expected something like that to happen or I didn't know much about it, but that's like on us. That's on us to not, that we didn't know, didn't know. That's on us that we were too stunned to say something like that's our position. So that was a time where we were all challenged in that room or I only speaking for myself where I was challenged in that room. I completely failed to do what was necessary of myself. Um, I'm sure there are plenty others. I'll just leave that one there. And if I think more, I'll get back to you. Um, for me, I, I, w- I would call it, I, I haven't, I, I, thinking about my time at school, actually, I don't, I'm having a hard time thinking of a specific like instance of, 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 that really happening in school specifically. Um, I mean, it's it's definitely happened and there's been a lot of, I think that like, it, I think most of what, I, what, I would, what I've seen, I would categorize under unwilling ignorance. Just, just being unaware of the issue and stepping in it because, you know, someone just didn't get it. Um, and didn't understand what they were doing wrong in the first place. And there wasn't someone in a similar position of leadership. And that, what, I, what I think that it, one of the bigger issues is, is that especially on a faculty level, there needs to be some real racial diversity so that if someone, if someone that is, you know, is a white professor does step in it or does put their foot in the mouth or does do something that something that it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be a student's job to do that because it shouldn't have to be a student's job to do that. Obviously, if it happens and you're a student in the position where you can, absolutely. But like, it, it, ideally that gets handled by the people that are in leadership to begin with. Um, one thing that I, that I did experience <laughs> that we tried, um, it was, it was at, uh, uh, and, uh, it was, at, it was at Red House. However, Red House was, uh, really, wonderful and 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 really pushed for diversity and casting we had um we had a, a number of a, a number of actors of color as well as as well as uh, trans actors uh playing playing their uh, identified gender very forward this is no statement against red house they're amazing um but in uh in a christmas a syracuse christmas carol everyone's favorite christmas carol adaptation um uh, one of my fellow actors, apparently, I guess her family was from, at some point was from Libya. Uh, and so she, but, but she was a white woman. Um, and very, very obviously a white woman. Um, and so she, she claimed that she was African because of that. 
and claimed that because of that, she could use the N word <laughs> um, uh, and, and, started, and started talking to one of the, the only actors of color in the, in the production about, uh, about African beauty standards and like what she should do with her hair and like how, how her, how she also encountered oppression and blah, 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 blah. But she, and she just did not see obviously that she was that she was a white actor talking to a talking to an actor of color about about race as if she, as if she was the one being oppressed or as if she was the one that was actually understood the issue um and she well, she also just stormed into our dressing room unannounced all the time which was pretty unpleasant but um when she did that we thought we we tried to like we tried to show her how ignorant she was being and she refused to see it. I mean, like we, we, she sat in our dressing room and had a conversation with uh, a guy, uh, Jason and um, Jael, who was, I believe the only, I believe she was the only black woman in the cast um, and was also in a dressing room with this other actress, uh, Allison. And, um, and they talked for probably an hour trying to get her to understand how ignorant she was being and she refused to see it and walked out believing that she was still in the right. Um, so that was definitely one that I've seen while I was attending school, however, at the time I was not at school. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't remember who said it, but I definitely think representation on like the faculty is very, very important. I never realized it until this year, but I was thinking about the teachers that I've had growing up, like, fr from the moment I, I became interested in theater, most of my teachers have been white, and I, it never crossed my mind. Um, so I think that's really important to, for, you know, students to see themselves represent, represented um, when it comes to, like, you know, uh, but I, I've definitely, um, I've seen people you know do material that is not right for them for a number of reasons you know sing songs that you know call for what we were saying like a specific type that call for a specific race or you know um i think that you know i mean history itself is built on racism but theater history like you know you think of vaudeville like that's something that we learn in, in, in all these big programs that we go to. Um, and you think about these shows that are being produced by middle schools and, and high schools. And I think it's really important that we learn about all these stories, but we acknowledge that not every story is ours to tell. Um, you know, you think of like high schools doing West Side Story or In the Heights, or The Color Purple, or Once on this Island, and not having the students that fit that show. There, there are so many shows, and there are so many songs to sing. You know, there's so many shows to choose from, so why did you choose that one? Um, so yeah. I thought of another example within an educational institution in which, I don't even remember the direct words you used in the question, but in which people are stupid. Um, so, <laughs> um, I, so Point Park has this new 
or had maybe, it might be a had because of this instance, um, this wonderful study abroad opportunity for musical theater. Um, and it's like a first semester junior year, you could, the schools, um, the participating school, which is the University of West London, as well as Point Park partnered together and you could send up to four musical theater students to the musical theater program at University of West London. Um, so myself and two of my best friends, Ashlyn Prieto and Taekwon White, um, went um, for the first semester of junior year. And it was fine, whatever. Um, in London, we were living it up. Um, yes, jet setters, come on now. Come on. Um, well, the way they have this class acting through song, as most musical theater programs do. Um, and <laughs> the, the way they did it is they did like units, you would get assigned a role in a song um, based off of a composer. So they did Andrew Lloyd Webber, like unit. They did Candor and Ebb to like teach these different composers, musical styles and styles of theater. Well, they had one unit, um, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, and when I tell you, so me, very white, I wasn't part of this, but, Ashlyn and Ashlyn is Mexican American, um, half Mexican American, half white, and Taekwon is black. Um, when they came to that school, the diversity in their program doubled. Um, so this was a very whitewashed musical theater program. Okay, that's fine. That's dandy, whatever. And I was like, okay, um, maybe there. Uh, when I saw that we were doing Lin-Manuel Miranda, when the three of us saw this, we were like, okay, well, let's, there's King George, like I'll play King George and Hamilton. Like I was like, maybe he'll just do a lot of doubling of the very few white characters that do exist under that composer. No, no, no. I was assigned, um, I was assigned La Cienega, which is a black trans character in Bring It On. Um, and I can't remember the character I was assigned in, in the Heights. Obviously I didn't do this assignment, um, but I was obviously not playing a white man in the Heights. So, and this was assigned left and right for every white person was assigned a person of care and color. Um, and we were obviously not okay with this. And we just told our teacher, we were like, we're not doing this and you're not doing this. Like, this is not our curriculum. And he was like, well, it's an educational environment. Um, they're not playing these roles. We just need to learn Lynn's style. And we were like, why? Why do these white kids need to learn how to play these characters? That doesn't benefit their training. That's a waste of time for them. And it is a, um, it is communicating something that is just not okay. Um, and we fought it with him. We had sit down discussions as whole classes um, in which white people were crying, saying roles were being taken from them. They just wanted to learn, learn Lynn's style. They needed to learn how to rap. They said they need, they need to learn how to rap just in case um, Lynn writes something for white people. <laughs> um, so they're just being proactive, you know, you know, yeah, they're just, they're just making sure that they're ready for it when it comes. Um, and then, so we fought it long enough. We went to the head of the musical theater program with, um, this girl, this um, British student, Naomi, um, who was black as well. And then with Katsy, um, who was a student at UWL, but is actually from California. Um, and she is Asian American. So you could obviously tell that it was a lack of education within um, 
the UK because it was every white UK student wanted to do In the Heights, wanted to do Bring It On, wanted to do Hamilton. Like, um, and so you could obviously tell that there was something not connecting there for them. One, oh, my favorite, one girl said, um, the Americans are kicking up a fuss about nothing. Racism doesn't exist in the UK. Um, so this was a huge moment in which it was almost like we were feeding something that, or fighting something that wasn't attainable. Like we, we felt so lost. We, we wanted to come home. We were like, we don't want to train here. This is a waste of time. It ended up not happening. The head of the program said, you're not allowed to do this assignment until we figure out a way to do something that is not harmful to students. Um, long story short, second semester, they did it when we were there. Um, once, once the Americans left, they could do it. Um, so yeah, that was a time that injustices were faced in the classroom and people were forced to fight it. And it shows that things are still happening every day. Um, in, in, this is, they are training the next generation of musical theater. Like, this is the mindset you're giving students that are going to lead where art goes, so. And to, to, to piggyback on that just educational, because I, I think the educational excuse gets used a lot. It's like, well, it's not a professional show. This is an educational environment. That's bullshit. Like it's, it, that, that isn't, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is like, like, especially if you're talking about like what, what stories you can tell. For instance, I can't play Sweeney Todd right now because I'm 21, you know? It needs to be believable that I have an adult daughter if I want to play Sweeney Todd. You know, it needs, you need to believe that I'm older. And also I would never be able to do that story justice if I didn't have the life experiences of being an older person. The difference is mm -hmm. eventually if I survive life, I'll be 50. I'll never be black. I'll never be any race mm -hmm. other than what I am. And so to ask me to do that is, it is at the most innocent level a terrible artistic decision and at the most malicious level a really terrible uh, act of injustice also there are other ways to educate students on this material and there's other ways for them to appreciate that material than just perform the material you know like <laughs> there's countless documentaries of of songs and shows and performers who believe me are incredible at doing what they do. Um, you know, I think, I think art, just like it has this incredible power to change the world and open minds. And to do that, we need to not always be the person performing and be the person watch. We have to be the audience. What too. can, what, what do you think we can all do as allies moving forward? If we see something within our communities, uh, because we're hearing a lot about, I think, um, participating as an ally means showing support to your friends of color. Yeah. However, I think that's an amazing place to start, but what, do you think we can do to take that next step? You know, after we've reached that level, what's, where do we go from here? How do we make it even better? First of all, biggest thing that, the like easiest and just like first step, sit down with yourself and just check your own privilege. I guarantee like 
you if you think that it doesn't exist you are just ignoring the fact you were that is that is your own privilege talking um so that's the first step that you can take um obviously continue to have these conversations with your friends and family because the second that we stop talking about it like you know that's also if if you if you can feel comfortable silencing yourself that's also an example of the privilege that you have and then i think something that's really really important when it comes to our industry um is seeing representation behind the tables behind the cameras our writers our directors our choreographers and everything in between because like i said before like you know we have to acknowledge whose story is whose to tell and we it's not going to be the same story with the same person you know in charge like the same person who's you know I'm trying to think of a good metaphor now because we're all about metaphors <laughs> but who's like at the helm you know yeah um yeah so for example um after I've ragged on a couple things that have happened within my own institution let's talk about something that they have started doing that's good um last year last year my school went through a huge wave of hey, this show that we're, we have on our season is racist and we're not doing it. And so like, it was this huge backlash from students and some members of the faculty in which we were like, this season is not happening um, and you're gonna change it. And it happened and it was something great where it was, uh, and it's still happening where it's a lot of heartache and a lot of conversations that students should not have to be having with their faculty that are happening. But from that has come um, a promise from our artistic, department with the Pittsburgh Playhouse that we perform with um, is a promise that a woman and a person of color will be behind each artistic team for every show. Um, and that's just something that we can put. And I mean, our artistic director is a cis straight white man. So like, it's not impossible for someone to be like, hey, I understand the position I'm in, in which I can make something happen that will change the lives and the experiences for everyone involved. Um, and so I think that's an example where you can use your position of power, like Stephen Breeze did, um, and put in a, a policy into place in which it's like, hey, this will be a more rewarding and a safer environment for everyone involved. Um, so that's a good example of something that um, theaters um, can do everywhere, um, a promise that can be made. Um, also, I think something that um, like we can remove certain rhetoric, us as performers, as individuals can remove from our vocabulary. Uh, colorblind casting is just an artist's excuse, is an artist's, artist's example of saying, I don't see color. Colorblind casting is not what we need. We need to be knowledgeable of what we, of who we are casting, knowledgeable of the representation that we have in front of our audiences. Um, beyond that, myself as oh and I will go ahead and say I young Ryan is so guilty of this when um I was up for a role and they cast a man of color instead I was like they were going a different direction that's the excuse I would make and that's the excuse I know a lot of people have made that needs to end white people are not allowed to just like when a person of color isn't cast they're not told that they were just going in a different direction because if they said that that means they were going in a white direction um no, they're, 
we need to remove that excuse from our brain whenever we don't get something. No, I wasn't cast because I wasn't cast. Um, uh, Wait, Ryan, so you're saying that you were able to address an internal bias that you were born and raised with and then make a change to be a better human being? It's crazy. I know. I know. What? That's wild. It's possible. It's men do it too. Um, be open oh, to learning. There was another example I was going to use, another use of language that we need to remove. Oh, <laughs> um, Adrian, I'm sure you can relate to this because we haven't said this, but you were hinting at it. Um, ethnically ambiguous. No. It's a hard question because I think there are so many things we can do, but at the end of the day, we can only do so many things at any given time. And so I think it's important to also focus on like, what can you do that you're good at? Like, for me, I, I, can t I, can, I can have a conversation forever about anything and I can argue anything. I'm a, I, I just, I am, that's how I'm wired. And so like one thing that I try to do is I really try to involve people in discussion and debate and conversation. If I feel like they're saying something that is, that is you know, reductive and, and, and counterproductive. Um, uh, and for like, that's why for me, like, I think there's, there's a, there's a kind of a, a bit of a, a, a push for like unfriend me culture, which I understand definitely, you know, obviously uh, if someone feels like they're alone in thinking something regressive, they're more inclined to not say it out loud. But also I personally think that at least for me, I refuse to cut anyone out because I would rather, I would rather, because they're going to be saying those things whether I see it or not. Um, like me unfriending them is not going to stop them from saying what they're saying and it's not going to stop them from thinking what they're thinking. So for me, I try to like engage in conversation, really push them, get, you know, get on their level. Don't talk down to them, but really get on their level and be like, hey, why do you think that? Do you, do you really, do you really think that? And, and what is, you know, what, what is it about Black Lives Matter that, that's upset you, that upsets you? You know, is it, what, what is it about, about this movement or, or, or these people or whatever that really deeply troubles you so much that you would say these hateful things? Because it is my true belief, and it's something that, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an AA saying, um, which is that people judge you by your actions, not your intentions, um, which is fair, it, people do. But I think it's, it's worth remembering that for the most part, almost everyone's intentions are good. People, you know, I, even the people who say these awful, hateful things, like for instance, uh, 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 at my school this past semester, we didn't get to do it for the COVID, but like, it, you know, we were, going, we were going to do Bring It On. And the intention behind that was lovely. They were really trying to be inclusive and trying to, to, to you know, racially, diversely cast. The action was poor because at the end of the day, what, what it ended up doing is not provide opportunities, but pigeonhole. It, 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 it put a lot, of, a lot of actors of color in positions where it didn't matter what show they wanted to be in, what parts interested them most. They knew if, okay, well, I'm a, you know, well, I'm a black musical theater major and I can sing, so I have to be in this show because they need me. And yeah, exactly. And so, and so, and, and they just, and they, and so, and so they're just, they're, 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 you know, put in a position where they don't get to actually do the things that they would like to do, even though the intention was inclusivity. 
the 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 action was end up being exclusivity. Um, yeah, maybe we can do some more work to exchange our vocabulary and take words like debating and arguing mm -hmm. and and trade those in for words like let's have a conversation and communicate about yeah. this and hear each other's perspectives and it also takes an an open heart on the on the part of people who you know sometimes people aren't very receptive to looking within and and admitting that mm -hmm. they have internal biases that's difficult for them to do but i've said it on the show and i'll say it again nobody has to hear you having those conversations with yourself where you say maybe that thing that i thought was not very nice yeah. that was out of pocket or that is coming from a deeply ingrained bias but i caught it and now i can acknowledge that that's not the way to perceive a certain person or a certain race etc and, you know? and i hope that that becomes more normalized acknowledging when you're yes. wrong i think that there's a really i think that that's one of the, the driving things is people hate being wrong and it's fair it sucks it sucks to be wrong but like it should be normal and it should be healthy and positive to just be like hey so turns out i was wrong i'll try not to be wrong like that's okay i think i think that i think that's that's a that's a very important conversation to have with yourself um, and also, yeah, yeah, exchanging like debate and arguing for conversation and, and, and having a discussion and like, you know, the education, like my, one of my really heartfelt beliefs, and it's also something that, um, I actually talked about in a, in a, in a TED talk. I forget the guy's name off the top of my head, but there's a TED talk. It's a, of a, of a, of a, of a black man who became very good friends with a grand wizard of the KKK. Um, and they had a very tense moment when they first met where like there was a noise and they thought it was a gun and it got very tense and there was about to be violence. But the, what the lesson from that that he gathered was that violence only happens when conversation ends. And it's true because it's technically impossible to fight someone and talk to them at the same time. It requires too much physical exertion for you to even form words. So, it, that's why I. That's why, that's why I really try to involve people in discussion. And when and if they're and if 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 they try to if they try to like narrativize what I'm saying or recontextualize what I'm saying, I will try to gently bring it back. And when it comes, sorry, when it comes to like that idea of blacklisting too, you know, we I think we I always forget this. We have to remember, like this is our job. We work for each other, um, and you have to go like, do I want to do I want to work with this person? if they're making statements like this or encouraging ideas like this, encouraging, you know, racism in their theater, do I want to be a part of that? Because I, I know I don't. And I, I think that that's an idea we have to keep in mind, not an idea. Like we have to remember, like, this is our job. Um, we're all working for each other. Uh, but then also I remember what I was going to say. <laughs> Yay. Um, but this idea of like someone being ethnically ambiguous that hinders our road to equal opportunity you know that is that is someone taking opportunity away from someone who is perfectly right for that part um so there's that also another thing that you can do safely from your home while we're all in quarantine expand your horizons you know, there are just so many BIPOC artists listen to their music and read their books and watch their movies and TV shows. You know, there 
you know, there's just, there's so much art in the world. You, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just saw me like thinking. Um, yeah. So I was just thinking about what we were talking about um, with um, ethnic ambiguity and how we um, had started talking about this conversation and wanted to um, comment on that again and bring it back to that for a second. Um, I think, so like something that we often think about or like, let me just start with, um, I have so much privilege in what I'm about to say because I am, I am not at all a person of color, nor am I even near ethnically ambiguous. So I have never even faced having to be on the receiving end of that and having the struggle of not knowing what to say or how to confront, how to go to a casting team and be like, hey, I don't think you should call me back for this because I'm not right for it. So like, it's very easy for me to look at someone else and be like, well, they should just not take the part because I will never face that. I will never be offered a part like that. So I think that like, I come from this privilege when I say that, but um, I think it is on, I won't even say us, on those who are ethnically ambiguous to like, should, should, I'll just use Adrian, your example. Should you be called back for Usnavi? I think rather than be like, they called me back for this, like that's awkward. I think you can walk into that callback with those sides and stuff and just be like, hey, um, I wanna thank you for considering me, but I want you to know I am completely white. I'm not right for this part. I might look like I'm not all white, but I am. So thank you for considering me, but I'm not right for this part. And I think you should keep looking. Um, I think that's a conversation that can be had and that can be normalized because, you know, there's always this conversation of, I've had friends of color be asked teachers, should I put my ethnicity on my resume? Like that, which I want to say, interestingly enough, I have never been had to ask that question or been told to put my ethnicity on my resume. That's white privilege. Just so you know, if you never had to ask yourself that question. Um, but, um, like, I think in order to change the rooms we walk into and we want to change the panel behind the table, we have to invite change. And I think that's a way we can invite it is be like, hey, thank you so much, but I am not right for this. I appreciate it. Hopefully we'll get together in the future. Like, um, and, I, and I could speak a, a little bit for the, I mean, like, I mean, like if I could go back in time and, and be in that SEDC room, I absolutely, absolutely would do that. At the time, I think I was ignorant of the issues and scared and scattered. And I didn't, you know, I didn't have the presence of mind to do that. But like, I think it is kind of on, especially people like in, in, like in, like in that position, in my position in that instance, to take the initiative to say like, hey, I'm sorry, this isn't, this isn't, going to be I mean what I ended up doing is basically just I just threw the audition because I was like I can't do this but like but I didn't but but I should I should have communicated it with them so that way like they they could have learned from the experience too um yes as long as they're receptive to to that conversation that you are opening that's this line of dialogue that we're opening and when we're saying you know I don't think this is my story to tell making room for the voices that should be telling those stories and have the right and deserve to be telling those stories and bringing their experiences, not just to roles that are written for people of color, but any role that they fit in, 
You know, um, Elena saying, why can't we have a black Reno Sweeney? It's a, uh, well, anything goes is hella problematic, but that's for a discussion for another time. We can jump all the way into anything goes and all of the, um, you know, we'll get into that at another time. But, you know, why can't we have why can't we have a black Reno or why can't we have, you know, um, black princes and into the woods, etc. Like just because it's not written for a person of color. You know, we can walk into the room and say that's it's a great example. That's how we can make change when we're being called for roles that are written for people of color, but also making room even when it's not written specifically for that person. You know, like, let's see a black Heather McNamara and let's see a black Veronica and Heather's the musical, things like that. So, yeah. Also, piggybacking onto that. Um, and I can't remember. I think Ryan mentioned it. Uh, how problematic uh, well not uh, okay so I want to talk about the difference between colorblind casting and color conscious casting so like I love the what the example that you're making of like Heather's and this idea of like you know a black Heather McNamara because the thing is a black actor singing lifeboat is going to be completely different than a white actor singing lifeboat and, and that goes for tons of different roles too once again our experiences are all different and seeing you know a bi poc actor in a role that's traditionally played by a white actor that's going to be a completely different performance and it's going to leave the audience feeling something completely different yeah and i i think it's like because if you get into the nitty-gritty of like ethnic ambiguity which is what we're talking about right now like when you get into that so let's talk about the different styles of auditions you go into shows like like Adrian, you would never intentionally walk into a room knowing, hey, the show I am right now auditioning for right now is in the Heights. It's like that in those audition rooms, it's different because those directors or, well, you might have stupid actors, whatever, they'll do what they do. Um, and hopefully they don't get cast. Um, but so you have but you were in the position where it was, I can't remember what you said, if it was NCTC, SCTC, um, but you have these big cattle call, multiple theater, multiple college audition, not even college, multiple theater auditions um, in which they don't know, um, like they probably don't know that you're just white unless you have it listed on your resume, which maybe we should normalize that. Who knows? I don't know the right answer. But, um, but yeah, like, like, is that for, for people of color, is that restrictive and making them the, the tope, like participating in tokenism or making them this like trope of a character. But for those of us that are white, is it saying, hey, just so you know, I'm white, so don't cast me as something that is a character that is not. Don't t give me a story to tell that's not my story to tell. So like, is it on us to start doing that, to, to tell the table, to tell the panel, hey, we're not putting up with this, so don't present this opportunity. So, and like, like at SCTC, or for example, like, no, they probably didn't know that you were white. So like, then it is it, or it is okay for you to then say that. Be like, hey, I totally appreciate the fact that you want to work with me. I'd love that. But no, not this time. Like, yeah. So like, it's, it depends on the audition you're walking into. Some, hopefully that won't even be an issue because you won't walk into the room. <laughs> but for other ones, like, I, we can normalize, hey, this theater didn't know. We don't need to blacklist this theater. We don't need to cancel this theater. We don't need to cancel this actor because none of them knew what they were walking into. That was something I 
I talked about that actually a little bit with some, when I was in uh, Syracuse with Rye uh, during rent. So we lived, we, 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 it was us and so three other guys and they were, they were all uh, black men. And so we, we, we talked about representation in theater to some degree. And one of the thing, one of the most striking things said was uh, Marcus, Marcus Jordan, uh, a lovely man who played Benny, um, uh, uh, talked about how like, what, what's annoying is that for uh, like, you know, for a person of color to be considered for a role, the role, the role has to be explicitly telling the story of a person of color. But the thing is, is that if you tell any story and cast a, a, a BIPOC actor in it, it will be a BIPOC story because it has them in it. It doesn't have, the, the content of the story doesn't matter because that's automatically going to feed into it. You can't, you can't ec extricate those two, those two things. Uh, you know, your, your, your life experience and your personal journey is going to feed into your performance. And I think that like, cast like friends like casting like ethically ambiguous actors often gets used as a catch-all for any role that isn't explicitly by poc if it's something that like it's like well it can be cast that way or it doesn't have to be cast that way then it almost then it feels like it almost automatically funnels out of it because uh, i have whatever systemic reasons that lead to that um, that's like, I mean, I was, I was cast as, as Randall and bring it on, which I personally think is inappropriate. Randall, uh, I, I mean, I'm not a personal big bring it on fan, but that's me. Um, but like, uh, 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 you know, Randall is not explicitly any race, never says it doesn't come up, but it, it seems odd <laughs> if the, if the, if the story is a girl from an almost all white high school goes to a, a, a goes to a high school that's very diverse and then the only person that she ends up having a relationship with is the only white guy there like really <laughs> you know yeah, but does that also flavor maybe if randall is white and he's the one white kid in this extremely diverse school does that flavor his does that show that he's somebody who is getting a broader perspective he he's he is yeah totally. it's like it's it's, t it's totally possible and worth considering. Yeah. I, I think I, th I think that it can become a de facto choice. And I'm not saying I don't I don't I don't necessarily think that that me being cast as as Randall at the time was like a, a, a you know a, a, a real act of racial injustice mm -hmm. necessarily. Um, I mean I like like I like I personally think it should have gone to someone else mm -hmm. just because I was already in another show. And I think if you're talking about an educational environment, I don't think it's fair to cast anyone multiple times in a semester, even if they're good. Like, even if even if they're great, and I'm not, but even if they're great, like, it, it, it's, it's, it, it is, it is, it's detrimental to the educational experience. And to cite the educational experience as a reason you can do things that you want to do that people are telling you that you, that you shouldn't, and then still use it to do something that you want to do that people are telling you you shouldn't, like, like, it's it's just it just it just feels like a cop. Yeah, it ends up reinforcing as Emma was saying earlier, it ends up reinforcing like we're saying we learn these biases and by doing that that's reinforcing the biases even more, you know? All right. Does anybody have any? Unfortunately, we're running out of time, which sucks because we're having a great conversation and a wonderful forum here. But does anybody have any parting thoughts? 
as we as we move forward in this journey in this movement journey as allies and this long road that we're walking with our BIPOC brothers and sisters, etc. Yeah. So I feel like we've had a really good conversation and we've touched on multiple things. And I feel like something that at least within myself, a thought that's been created is great. So like we have all of these like things to work on, things to do, positions of power that we as white people in theater are in. And it's like, how do we use that? Well, we just presented so many different like ways to change the room you're in or change the space and rehearsal process you're in. Um, and I think like that can be overwhelming. Um, and I think like, I think it's easy or it, it is easier to like look at yourself um, or at least for me, it's easier to look at myself and be like, okay, so this is the position I'm in as like, this is the artist I am, this is the performer I am, this is what I look like, this is how I tend to work in rehearsal rooms. It's, I think it's more productive to look at your personal position and be like, this is the action, this is the conversation that I will continuously commit myself to having. So like, for example, it's like, hey, me as a white person, whenever I'm in a show, whenever I'm casting a show, I'm gonna look around the room and try to call out tokenism in casting. Like, I'm gonna try to question the director on, hey, why is this the way it is? Why are we, why are you partnering these two ensemble members together? Why, like, why is the white guy and white girl and the black guy and black girl together? Can we try to change the story so that it's more inclusive? Like, there's something, I think we can commit ourselves to having one continuous conversation everywhere we go. And I feel like that's easier to do and more productive to do than I'm gonna have every conversation and I'm gonna change everyone's opinion and the way everything works. Cause that's just not gonna happen. Not right now at least. So yeah, that's my closing thought. Um, I'm gonna try and speak very, very fast cause I know that we're running out of time. Um, I love what you said about like partnering and like this, I like, yeah, why, why is the choreographer placing these two people together? Um, I think as an audience and, uh, you know, allyship is a journey. On this journey, we need to be incredibly open. And I think that comes along with like when we are watching a show, like, you know, what, like why, why is, are both of the people in this couple, in this show, in this story, why are they both white? There are interracial couples. There are families, uh, you know, where, the parents are both white and their daughter is black. Why are we not seeing all types of representation on stage? Also, why are certain audience members, why do they feel like that's not as believable? Because art is representation of life and that is life. Celebrate being wrong as a learning experience. I think that sounds trite, but I think it's important. Really, really, if you, if you, were, if you look back and be honest with yourself and find areas where you were wrong, try to, think about what you can learn from it as opposed to just beating yourself up or denying it or recontextualizing it to making it feel like it was okay because of whatever the time was. It, it, if it was wrong, it was wrong and it's okay and you can learn from it. Um, and just don't stop talking about this. I think that's the thing, I think that the issue, one of the bigger issues is that people just stop talking about it. People get bored or distracted or, or disheartened. I think it's easy to feel like oh, well, I can't fix it, so why should I even try? But 
if we all try, we can do something. Not any one of us can do anything especially important or groundbreaking, but a lot of us can. And I think that keeping that in mind and really trying to willfully do what you can is one of the most important things to, to do about all of this. Thank you guys so much for being here. What a great, great talk we've had. Um, where can the people find you online? Are, and are you working on any projects right now? Any creative projects in quarantine or out of quarantine once this is over? Currently I'm working on a lot of self-tape projects to do projects later, so not there, um, but I'm not on Twitter, um, so if anything, find me on Instagram at Ryan M. Petty. Yeah, P-E-T-T-Y, just like the adjective. Um, but yeah, that's my Instagram handle. I, I have an Instagram, adrian.beck.73. It's just connected to my Facebook and I posted twice on it, but you can follow me on it. Um, I have a Facebook, uh, abeckactor at gmail.com. You can also reach me at, uh, and I'll, I can send you my website or whatever. Um, and yeah, I'm not a big social media person, but I also, but I do truly love talking to people. So if you reach out to me, I will talk to whoever for however long. That's all. I'm not working on anything super important. Sorry, I forgot to talk about that. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to write some stuff I've been writing uh, and, and, you know, working on self tapes and all that. But as far as like actual things, um, all of my jobs got taken away, so. Um, you can find me. My Instagram is at Emma D. So it's E-M-M-A-D-E-E, -E -E, not the letter, like D-E-E, -E, and then 333. So Emma D333. Um, I'd also love to talk. Um, and then this is like a subtle plug, but also I just, um, because you asked what we're working on and, and it's, no, well, and it's, and well, it's not my project. I was very fortunate. I'm, this small little walk-on role in this movie that um was on Netflix but the reason I'm bringing it up is because the at the helm of this movie the the two leads are these two incredible um women of color um the movie is called the half of it and it's about you know uh it's kind of like a modern take on Cyrano de Bergerac it's directed by Alice Wu uh an incredible queer woman of color and it's also like, and, and I could be biased because I got to be a little part of it, but I personally think it's a really great watch. So if you'd like to expand your horizons on, you know, race, LGBTQI plus rep, hit it up. I'm going to, I'm going to take this time since I'm not plugging any performance opportunity that I have. I'm going to go ahead and plug um, Sisters PGH. Um, so Sisters PGH is a black trans-led organization that provides advocacy, housing, and daytime respite and programming in Pittsburgh. Um, they have an Instagram that is linked to places to donate, as well as people to help directly with your funds, because white people, it is on us to give it back to the black community, because um, we stole it all. Um, so, so their Instagram is, their Instagram is Sisters PGH412. Um, the numbers, because um, that's the area code for Pittsburgh. Um, but yes, please give that Instagram handle a look as well. And 
donate your money if you can't donate your time so we'll link everybody's projects that they are talking about all of these wonderful organizations the articles ted talks we've been talking about in the episode description so check that out click on it learn yourself the conversation does not stop when the mic turns off find us on instagram at this is fourth wall and hit up our community inbox hello at fourthwallpod.com for any thoughts feedback reflections any experiences that you want to share thoughts on these topics and any of the other topics that we've discussed on the show we want to hear about it so yeah we'll see you guys next time everybody say bye